1: Hello and welcome to episode 58 of the Win in Six podcasts, official podcast of Behind the Book I'm your host, Sites Editor in Chief, Adam McGee. And joining me as usual for our bonus edition of Win in Six.
0: Bonus.
1: If you haven't guessed from that, it is Jordan Tresky. <laughs> More sound effects to come, I'm sure. Um, the reason for this is we've been sort of tied into the middle of our position by position breakdown, or I guess our off season preview, as much as anything else. And um, for the last five weeks, um, we just wrapped that up with this week's podcast, the regularly scheduled win winning six. And we didn't want to disrupt that flow, but in the meantime some pretty significant books things have been happening. I don't know, I suppose none of us know quite how significant. I'm not sure just how much emphasis has been put on them by most fans, but there's something happening, it's fair to say. There's something changing, maybe even more accurately, so Um, We are going to take a deep dive into all of the front office goodness and not so goodness involving the books, involving key recurring characters, new faces who may just be guest stars or maybe ordered to be regular cast members very soon. Who will be killed off? (laughs) All of this and more.
0: And a very special blossom.
1: on <laughs> a very special win in six. This is why we're here. So, okay, I mean, let's, let's start with I guess the closest thing we have to the facts because it's important when we start this out to emphasize so much of this is tied up in reports, um, reliable reports, reports from the likes of, yeah, who's Adrian Wojnarowski. Um, Charles Gardner of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, people who have never given us reason to doubt them, and I don't think we'd start now. Um, Even on the Utah side, I think Tony Jones, uh, pretty well-known jazz beat writer, and you might ask, why are the jazz relevant in all this? And the answer is because their assistant GM is... Seemingly now part of the books organization. A gentleman by the name of Justin Zanuck. we we'll start for those of you who aren't in the know. You haven't done too much reading on Justin Zanuck yet. He has been an assistant GM with the Jazz since 2013. Um, if my memory serves me correctly. He has a long sort of long established background in basketball, but not in the most traditional capacities. He had a few different routes and he came up as an agent. He was an agent for nine years with ASM sports, a pretty serious player in terms of NBA agency. His areas of expertise are said to be salary negotiations um, particularly with international players. And I guess from there, he was well-connected. He moved into the world of the front office in the NBA. and um, He has been a part of the Jazz, as I said, for just about three years now. Obviously a very successful time for the Jazz, although wins might not show that. Anyone who's been in the Utah front office for the last, say, three to five years is someone deserving of recognition because they've done a great job in rebuilding that franchise to the point now where it's really stacked with great young talent. Um, As we know, that's not always an easy thing to do, and the Jazz are deep at many positions, very flexible going forward, so they've got a good thing going. Let's hope Justin Zanuck played a really major part in that. To start it out, to start our our discussion, our debate, our conversation out, Jordan, how do you feel about the addition of Zanuck in terms of just what his profile seems to be, what his background is? How do you feel about the addition of that sort of individual to the organization at present?
0: Um, I think it's a pretty good get. Uh, we talked about this two... The, what a do, couple mean, what do you mean two
1: weeks ago?
0: Yeah. Um, when the rumors... There was a couple of rumors that... or Not rumors, actually. There reports from Mark Stein, yeah. I believe, uh, that he was coming in to interview. And he seemed like a great candidate. Obviously, his... Maybe unorthodox, but that is a lot of, that's a vital experience to have in a front office, you know, dealing with international players, agency, or uh, be a part of a sports agency, um, and an assistant GM with Utah. Um, and as we said a couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> the Bucks. <laughs> they did not have, ever since David Morway left with before this past season, they – there was kind of like this vacant vacancy, I guess. I think we thought Rod Thorne, consultant Rod Thorne, would uh, do something. We don't know if he did something or nothing. I don't know. Um, so to get someone at that position when it was just kind of weird how open it was, or the fact that it was open and they didn't try to fill it, there wasn't even, you know, kind of reports right after, obviously, that they were going to look for someone else. Um, I think it's kind of overdue, but it's a good guy to get, you know, bring on, obviously.
1: Yeah, I mean, that wasn't talked about at all. When David Morway left, we never really got... He just... I I want to say he wasn't renewed. He wasn't fired as such. He just... His contract was up and they didn't renew him.
0: I can't... I... I... mm. My, I, I'm not sure, but it sounded my remembering of it was he they just parted ways. Maybe it was due to his contract being up.
1: yeah, it was it was actually it was as simple as when John Hammond got his contract extension, mm-hmm. they decided not to extend David Morway um, which former general manager in the league really experienced guy. It raised a few eyebrows, but as I said, we never really got an explanation as to why that was. I don't think ownership, for example, have ever spoken on what the thinking of that was, or whether they were looking for someone to replace him, why ultimately they didn't for so long. All of that was sort of, it was a non-issue. It didn't really come about. I think at the time, we all thought he would be replaced quite quickly, but as is maybe the nature of assistant GMs at time, particularly when the books as an organization had not only Hammond but widely publicized Jason Kidd being very vocal in sort of basketball operations discussions, the need for it maybe wasn't quite as pressing. So I think everyone, including the likes of us as as a books blog and fans, just sort of forgot about it. It didn't it wasn't something on sort of the top of anyone's agenda when, when Mark Stein did tweet that out about two weeks ago as you said it really caught me off guard I was quite surprised because it was like oh okay this is it makes sense but I just it, it's unusual this far down the line for it to come back there must be a little bit of something more to it and it seems like there is a little bit of something more to it it was earlier this week than, or I suppose it was last Friday, I want to say. Maybe it was Saturday. Yahoo's Adrian Wojnarowski of the Vertical of Yahoo Sports. Just after a report from Mark Stein. Mark Stein had just tweeted that Justin Zanuck was indeed going to be the book's assistant GM. Adrian Wojnowski followed it up as he does with a Woj bomb, and that was that. You know what? I'll just I'll read the lead to his article because it says it all. The Milwaukee Bucks are hiring Utah Jazz executive Justin Zanek as the franchise's general manager in waiting. There is a lot more on this that we will go into and unpack as. The podcast goes on here first of all though let's stop at that point and let's not go any further just yet john hammond like jason kidd at present both of those men are on contracts which expire roughly around 12 months from now they're heading into the final year of their contracts from Hammond's point of view, when a report like this comes out, if this is in fact the case, you'd have to say, okay, this seems to imply he won't be extended, he won't be renewed a year from from now, and Justin Zanuck would step up into the big seat. Just on that very sort of basic level, before we go into all of the other moving parts involved here how plausible does that idea sound to you do you think that idea of is it now that they've decided to move because they felt like that vacancy left them exposed that if they moved on from hammond there was no natural successor particularly if jason kidd as he as he wrote about on our favorite jasonkid.com isn't really interested in getting involved in the front office side of things. If all of that is the case, do you feel this is the ownership reacting to what they might, I suppose, in a very analytical and strategic way that they're used to from their businesses? That's an area of weakness. It's something that they needed to have covered. Does the whole feel of this seem plausible? Is it a good idea?
0: Yes. I, I'm not, that's not a confident guess that it is a, it does seem like a good idea. Seem is a very key word. Um, I don't know, I think you kind of hit on the head. It was, again, due to it being a vacant area, um, and who knows what was happening behind the scenes. We've heard rumblings. Who knows if the are true? What is going on? All this stuff, and the fact that, like you said, Hammond, both Kid and Hammond, but specifically Hammond, his contract is up next year. It does seem like a good idea. It does seem like a good.
1: Idea. I keep. So saying. when when we when we talk about it seeming like a good idea, I feel like where you're coming from with that is like in any organization, it's good to have maybe a natural successor in place. That's it's good practice. It's it's no different than if you were dealing with the players. I mean, if you had a superstar who was aging, if possible, and you could have a younger player in waiting in the wings to take their place. I mean, that's the best way to do things. That's how the Spurs were able to bridge from David Robinson to Tim Duncan and stay successful throughout. Is it in that sense you? the idea is, I suppose, very practical and very logical?
0: Yeah, and it's not in the... I mean...
1: I mean the, the execution might be something we'll get into in a second. That's maybe yeah. the problem area. But in theory, the idea is a good one.
0: Yeah, and again, as much as we our fans or follow sports teams at the end of the day, they also are a business and that relates to the business side of things, selling tickets, all that stuff, financials, but it also relate, it goes on the other side of trying to, you know, get players to draft, scout, all that stuff, day-to-day operations. I I guess day-to-day basketball operations, I would say. So, I, we see it in everyday life, and, and it's no different with some sports teams. I mean, the, I think you have, that was a perfect example, too. Sports teams do that with their players, you know, getting veteran guys. Like, uh, Timberwolves, you know, seeing KG mentor young guys or something like that. Like, that's just natural part of everyday life. Um, and in, on paper, I mean, it makes sense if they, if they are thinking about, you know, doing that down the line seems you know on par to do or you know right to do something like that you know the organization
1: feels that way and the business point that you make is, i think it's a really good one and it's something that i suppose it just it doesn't come natural to most people who follow the team very closely for basketball reasons but the reality of this is the books are run by very astute, very successful businessmen. And whether we like it or not, every decision they have made since they have arrived has been super calculated and maybe more beneficial to them in a business sense than anything else. That goes from obviously getting the deal done for the new arena and they invested significant amounts of their own money, but there's, of course, all the public money that's going into it as well. You have the rebranding of the team. Why did that happen? Because they weren't seeing people wear books gear when they went out around Wisconsin. So rebranding the team creates more revenue for the organization. Even smaller details in, within that, like the say of Fear the Deer Knights. Once again, it's just it's another jersey you can sell. It's extra revenue. Mm-hmm. Bringing Greg Monroe in. There's a reason I feel like this... This iteration of the books they talk about, and even as Kid did in his exit interviews at the end of this season, they talk about landing a free agent. Because it's all about the profile, and that's really smart. It, ultimately, it should benefit the basketball side too. But I think from a business perspective, the books have maybe benefited a little more in an immediate sense. And I do think, not uncommon, obviously, with the extra TV money and everything coming in, but that did show on the recent Forbes NBA table for value and franchises. The books did rise pretty significantly. Obviously, with the market size and everything, they aren't one of the big players in the league, but they are steadily growing and improving. From the NBA's point of view, you'd have to say they're very much on the right track. And... That business mindset that impacts all of those decisions definitely filters down to the thinking with this one. So I think breaking it down as a very organizational thing and we have, we have a gap in our organization, that's something which to those guys would have seemed like a pressing need. To flesh it out a little bit more and get into the nitty gritty of it. Let's go back to the Spurs analogy I use. So the David Robinson, Tim Duncan. When Tim Duncan was drafted, the Spurs didn't say to David Robinson, okay, you're done now. (laughs) You You just keep the seat warm because this guy has got your spot. They went out. They had the two of them work together in sort of unison, harmoniously to go and be the best they could be. And... That worked out very well for san antonio if indeed zanuck is the gm and waiting if it is only a year away why do they do it in such a public way why is the information getting out there now in the sense of is it not better for him to be the assistant gm is it not better that he doesn't even know he's more than that. Okay, there has to be maybe an indication of it because otherwise this was a lateral move for him. Why would he leave Utah to come to Milwaukee? Maybe he needed more concrete guarantees, but I mean, that doesn't need to come out in such a public way from whatever channel it has in the end. Basically what I'm getting at here is the idea of it is fine, but does it not benefit literally all parties more if it's not such a definitive thing. It's not a known. If Zanuck has to prove himself, if it's in Hammond's best interests to work with Zanuck in, in the interim, you know what I mean? It's it's very much like the contract year thing, and we'll get to this later again with Kid. Why is it not being utilized in more of a front office sense? Why are we in this situation where we might have the most incredibly awkward front office year ahead of us in recent NBA history?
0: And if, I mean, this year <laughs> this year was not a cakewalk by any means. No,
1: but we're just opening the end. We're ramping it. up.
0: It's like a roller coaster. It's just like, uh, like, you know, going up and.
1: When's it go down, Jordan?
0: Uh, well, we're, we're getting down. <laughs> we're working <laughs> on it. <laughs> um, um, I don't know. I mean, that's. It's not even just the Xana thing. It was just funny. I mean, personally, see this, you know, <laughs> you see Stein's report, it's like, oh, that's, that's great. That just Woj comes in with his Wolverine claws and just like, yeah, he's, you know, GM and waiting. And you're just like, oh, that, now that, yeah, that sounds about right. Um,
1: and the I other, don't know. The other I, thing that's worth putting in there, because Woj has been the chief driver behind the Jason Kidd wants executive power in Milwaukee. And a lot of people have sort of, they started to greet this with some skepticism and say, this is so sort of, it's so recurring. It's so persistent. Is there maybe some sort of agenda here where now in this scenario, the fact that he's the guy to come in and say, well, actually this is what's happening. Mm -hmm. It nearly adds an extra layer of credibility to it. it. It, well, does just need that, but you can't sort of but take this with the utmost level of seriousness.
0: Yeah, and it's just—I mean, it's just another layer on this cake of like what is really going on in the front office. I mean, people have their suspicions, all the stuff with Kid, like you mentioned, talked about it many times. Hammond's eventual role—he's always—I he's, mean for reports he's connected to the Pelicans, and they have, I mean, they talk about a weird front office situation themselves, that sells, I mean, there's some crazy <laughs> reports going over there. Um, I don't know, it just, it does, it just seems odd to me that we always, these rumblings keep going on with, whoever, if it's kid, or now is like a part of the situation and it just keeps persisting that there's this weird, you feel like <laughs> there's just kind of like secrecy or not secrecy, but just like lack of clarity openness. this. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, okay. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know why, why there wouldn't be a unified front to kind of, emphatically saying this is this is what we're doing everybody's gonna work together whatever happens down the road we'll get to it when it happens you know what i mean you know that kind of thing i i, I don't know i, I mean I really don't
1: know without sounding i don't want to i don't want to sound too dramatic or too sensationalist with it but no, the, but the, the only reason why the only reason why you don't have that like ultra unified front why you don't get that singular message out there is if it's not in everyone's interest to do it. And we, we don't, we don't know in what sense that's playing, if that's the owners have some ultimate plan in mind that sort of understandably everyone can't be brought in on. They're the owners. This is their thing to really do what they want and run it as they see fit. Um, or if it comes further down the chain of command, it's interesting that you talk about lack of clarity because there's even a touch of that in this situation still. We have Woj's report saying Zanuck is the GM and waiting. That's really his next step. Um, Charles Gardner of Monkey Journal Center, then, he came out, he confirmed that league sources were telling him Zanuck is the new assistant GM. Um, but then he followed that up with, And I quote League source dispute Zanuck being termed GM in waiting for books. Move provides more options for books going forward. This is very interesting. And I guess the reason I put it as that is as I alluded to at the start of the podcast, I have pretty much full faith in both of the people who are reporting those stories. And I, I believe when Adrian Wojnarowski says he is GM in waiting, and I believe when Charles Gardner says he is not the GM in waiting. And what that means is they both have their leak sources. Their sources are coming from different sides of the coin. I'm not going to name names, but I think anyone who reads Woj's report and has a little bit about them upstairs, it's not too hard to figure out who his source is. Um we'll say have a foot in both camps there's not many people in that sort of situation in this case so it's not hard to figure out and then obviously Charles Gardner's sources is probably coming from the complete opposite camp and I think that's an important point that doesn't get recognized in any of this stuff and a lot of sort of reports in the NBA and when things pan out it doesn't mean that they're presenting information that isn't true or even that the information being relayed to them is not true to the best of that person's knowledge just things can work behind that that concerns me a little bit just that we're still in this space where there's that room for debate obviously there's no announcements so it doesn't fully get out there. But at the same time, if he is the GM and waiting, you'd like to think the people who matter inside the books would have been made aware of that, would have been given the courtesy that it's not sort of, you know what I mean, all the key figures, not I'm not talking just about Hammond, but everyone else who works in a front office capacity or closely with the front office, kid as well. You'd hope all of those people would sort of be given a nod and a wink about it and said, look, this is the direction things are going. If that hasn't happened, it's going to get messier again, really.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I I don't have anything else to say. It's just like, it's, yeah.
1: I don't want to break Jordan too early, so I'll move on from that point. Um, yeah. <laughs> if all of this is true, so if, if he is indeed, Justin Zanuck is the GM and waiting 12 months from now, say we're preparing for the 2017 NBA draft, and Justin Zanuck is the man with the decision of who the Bucs will he pick. in the his hands. <laughs> If that is the case, what is John Hammond's future? Um,
0: uh, I don't know. I, I think in my mind, I mean, some other people may disagree. I still think he is a valuable GM, valuable basketball person with knowledge. <laughs> um, uh, I, I think. I mean, I, I think he could easily go to another team. Um, I think he. I don't, to I, go to team.
1: I don't think that's possible or likely to happen with this playing out as it is. Well, I, I, I want to talk on that a little bit more in a second. Well, I'll, I'll give. I have two ideas two hypotheticals for what his future might be i want to throw it you and see what you think the first of them is that he's going to retire because you have this whole situation where the guy is being replaced while he's still in the job the only the only real basis where that's normal or one of two i'll get to the other one in a second is if the guy is stepping away of his own accord and doing so in doing so in a very permanent way, because say if Hammond is still looking to be a general manager in the league, if it is New Orleans this time next year, he's in New Orleans. So if the books come to him and say, "Justin Zanuck's the new assistant GM," and by the way. When your contract expires, he's in your job. One, why does he stick around? Two, if he is willing to stick around, why are the books happy for him to stay around when he's going to have the inside track on everything they're doing, including their direction under a new guy, and then he's going to bring that somewhere else? And I know maybe I'll talk about this in more detail later. NBA teams are more transparent with each other than a lot of people seem to realize. But at the same time, if you're bringing a new guy in, he's going to work... You've got to guess pretty immediately. I mean, if if he is the GM and waiting, Justin Zanuck is all of a sudden from someone that we didn't hear about, talk about, maybe never even heard of a couple of weeks ago, he's going to have a very big say in... Who they draft, who they sign this summer, his voice is going to be heard if that's the case. So the first option I see is that Hammond is retiring, and in that case, of course, it's fine. Of course, Zanek can be told he's the next guy. Hammond is happy for that. He'll be more than willing to help him pass on whatever knowledge possible because 12 months from now, what does it matter? That's, I suppose, the very nice amicable split that, doesn't always come to mind immediately. And Hammond isn't that old, particularly by front office standards, but he's been around the game for a long time. He isn't a really young man. He might have decided, you know what? I've done my time in the league. Time for something else. The second option, and I honestly sort of feel like this might be the best option, even though it would bring in its own complications. The second option is John Hammond will no longer be the Bucks GM a year from now, but he will remain in the organization. That could happen via some sort of senior consulting role, a la what Rod Thorne supposedly does or doesn't do. That could come in the capacity even of a President of Basketball Operations. Who's to say that they haven't decided to change the structure in a manner that a lot of teams around the league have done? Give Hammond more of the broad stroke sort of position? Let Zanuck be the really hands-on guy and say, for example, one of his specialities is seemingly scouting European players because he's got real experience in dealing with international players on the contract side of things. I mean, that sort of arrangement, maybe Zanik goes, travels the world, scouts the prospects, feels most of the phone calls, and there is a team dynamic at play. I don't necessarily think that's what's going to happen by any means, but it does seem like another logical way if we're trying not to make this whole situation a mess where you could understand... Zanuck being the GM and waiting and Hammond being happy with it and that's all I'm really trying to do here because otherwise it's it's a very strange and bizarre situation I mean they're my 2 there they're my two ideas I'm going to throw out there I don't know what your feelings on any of that is
0: um
1: I mean I'd be happy well yeah I'd be happy with
0: either one um uh, I mean, there could be another option where he leaves disgruntled and writes a tell-all book,
1: and it, you know. Goes... Yeah, but uh, see, uh, does that not happen already? Is he not at that point now? Well,
0: uh, I want to read that book regardless.
1: Oh yeah, but I mean, if yeah, but it's our best chance of ever finding out who really runs the book's front office. But <laughs> like, if we move through the point, like as I mentioned earlier, Charles Gardner he he reported that league sources said it is done, as in Zanuck is in place as assistant GM. So we're now, like, three weeks away from draft night. So if we go through draft night and John Hammond is interviewed and he's up there, I mean, we're going to have... They'll need to expand the stage for the unveiling, even if the books don't take three people, because at this rate, we're going to have the owners, we're going to have Kid, Hammond, Zanuck all up there. But if we're in that sort of situation where... Hammond makes the pick and does all of that. That feels like we're beyond the point of him storming out and feeling undermined. And I just, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why he wouldn't do that if he was being so undermined. Why he wouldn't go and say, you know what, I'll take three months off and then I'll land in New Orleans. Yeah. He I mean, technically, have, he seems to have the options open to him. So, why wouldn't he do that if that was the direction or that was the way things were being done?
0: Yeah. And technically, he could have done that when Kid was hired. I mean, yeah. obviously, we talked about this before. The rumblings that he wanted to be GM or president of basketball operations, some high title the, as well as his coaching job. I mean, he's disputed that since then, but just that's. Hammond could have easily done that after what, you know... The I mean, solution. he's
1: disputed that, but it's a nonsense to dispute it because it's it's widely known that that was once his intention. It would, it would be much more... It would feel much more honest if what he had said is, I no longer wish to be involved in the front office side of things. Of course, I want my opinion heard, but my my aim right now is not to be a general manager. The sort of saying it's complete nonsense, these rumors, that's taking it a little too far. I mean, there's been so much smoke there that you almost couldn't see the smoke for the fire. <laughs> and to just be that way about it, I don't We won't go quite there yet, but I feel like we all know at one point there was some truth to that. It might not have been as big as it was played out to be. But it was something he wanted. That's the reason why he... That's what he tried to do in Brooklyn. I mean, we're not in this situation if he didn't have those ambitions to begin with. So, I mean, everyone who was in Brooklyn isn't lying. And you've got to remember, someone who was in Brooklyn at that time is very, very close to the man who has done all of the reporting on that, and that's Bobby Marks, who was assistant GM with the Nets when all of that went down now works for the vertical with Adrian Wojcicki. So, mm. I feel like that's a pretty important detail in it. I, I like the idea of him being president of basketball operations, even if that does open up the idea, which I think we're at now, where we feel like, uh-oh, we've gone from having two voices and the owners and discussions to having three voices and the owners and discussions. But that seems to be the direction most NBA franchises have taken in structuring their basketball operations now. Like I, I don't I don't have a problem with that. Mm. It could make sense. What the whole thing is starting to feel like to me we'll get into a little bit more detail maybe later, but It seems like the owners are now putting their stamp on things. Yeah. So before we move on, why do you think if neither of those options are are true? If he's not retiring, if he's not the book's president of basketball operations? why is he sticking around for a year where he is making the decisions but he's likely going to get shouted down internally every time he looks to make a decision i don't know <laughs> just there's no it makes no sense it, i mean
0: yeah it, yeah it, it's just it seems odd from the outside without knowing The plan or if there's a plan in place all that stuff or intentions it does seem odd to just kind of you know be happy with whatever this role is obviously still the general manager but just having another voice when there's a lot of voices in the room i guess
1: and we'll never probably truly know until 12 months from now, when Zanuck is the GM and Hammond's contract is up and whatever happens from there. But if at that point this goes as it seems to be reported as going now and Hammond just walks away and stays involved in the NBA elsewhere and Zanuck is the GM, it's going to be very tough not to sort of question all the decisions that were made this year up to this point. And it's a a big year. We've talked about this a lot the books might have their stars in place, but they've got to start getting things right around them. And this is a really momentous year for that. So if you have an equivalent of a Grievous Vasquez, say, decision, that whole swapping the picks and, you know I mean, 12 months down the line, if we've got that, how is that viewed through the prism of, well, look at how dysfunctional, the front office is in in the now what do you feel the effect of this is what's the dynamic like how are how are they going to make decisions we can only speculate but let's speculate how are they going to approach the draft how are they going to approach free agency
0: ah uh... I don't uh, – I, I guess I don't know. I mean, we've heard the ownership obviously talk about what the effects of, you know, the offseason last year and how that fed into the team's performance this year. For a kid, make, uh, make <laughs> – stream for a big – or trying to get a big free agent. We've heard Hammond talk about the importance of veterans. That Not just Hammond, but obviously the ownership itself. Um, I don't know. I mean it is that's what make this makes this thing very interesting. Not even just the GM and waiting whole, you know, side of that too, but the fact that he's getting hired. Obviously there's a great great get. But the draft is in twenty three days for agencies a month from now. That's that's not a lot of time to try to get Everything in order for a plan to and to get everybody here on the same page too, which that's probably the bigger thing or bigger uh, key to all this. Um, I don't know. I, I really don't know what this says about the what they do over the next twelve months. The summer, you know, I I, I don't know. I really don't know.
1: and i suppose it's the time taking down that really makes it such a pressing thing and it is it's trying to get a read on well exactly how does that work and in i don't want to say basketball but in in the american sports model so it applies Applies to football, probably equally little different in baseball. We'll apply to hockey. But on a system that's so reliant on drafting your talent, then managing your contract lengths, you can't just sort of erase a bad decision this year in a hurry. It doesn't always work that way. So what makes it a little bit different if you were to detach this from a basketball environment and you were to think of it like the owners probably have once again as some form of more, let's say more measured paced company where maybe personnel mistakes can be rectified a little bit quicker. You're not tied in in quite the same way. A guy who is, say, in waiting to take that next step step up, they might happily sit in the back of the room and sort of voice their opinion quietly and just feel their way in, gauge their way, and see how it goes. But how does Zanuck do that if he is going to be the GM a year from now and he knows that for a fact maybe he signed for that already and they're in the war room on draft night and... Hammond is going, I want Jakob Pootel. and Justin Zanuck has been in Utah all year, he's been a regular visitor to Youth's games, and he's really strongly opposed to Pootle. he feels he's a waste of time, and someone like Scalabissier is the perfect pick. How does that work out in a way where Zanuck doesn't have to push to the front, undermine Hammond, that You know what I mean? That the peace can be kept even. Because I feel like it's different in basketball because anything that Zanuck feels is a mistake, he'll be looking at as, this is a mistake that I might be paying the consequences for for the next three years then when you enter free agency. So it gets very dicey in that sense. I just, I don't know how all of that is managed smoothly if we if we thought the kid hammond dynamic was complicated if kid did actually have front office intentions it doesn't it's a drop in the ocean compared to if this isn't sort of a very amicable well i'm moving on one year from now and i'll happily help whoever's coming in if it's not that situation and everyone's not on the same page this gets ugly in a hurry
0: Mm. And, I mean, it's not too dissimilar from what we've heard about last year's draft. I mean, just using that example alone, we've heard reports that, they're not r- reports, there's more rumors, but that kid favored Vaughn and there was, you know, some difference between him and Hammond or, you know, maybe even the owners, whatever, whatever. The case may be um i mean it's not it's just it's kind of just like a doubling down on if i mean if this were to happen it's just another another voice in the room that kind of could easily muck it up um i i don't know
1: let's move away momentarily from the gm debate The other key detail in Adrian Wojnarowski's report was that the books are, and I quote, moving towards a contract extension with Kidd as coach. This wasn't necessarily shocking because when they did, the owners did their, um, they're sort of end of season, and it was close to two year anniversary when they did their press conference. Slash, press conference might be a little bit generous. It was really a QA with, with Jim Paschke. When they did that before the Pacers game, the home, final home game of the year, season finale, they tried to dodge this question and it was sort of joked. Joked about and they laughed it off, and I think it was ultimately post-game that Charles Gardner pinned them on it, and they admitted, "Yeah, we will look at an extension for kid in the off-season." Now that we're at that point, we're in the off-season. The extension is supposedly near. Does this make any sense? Yes. Not.
0: Uh, I think to from the ownership side of everything, or from the ownership side of things, I think to have a present or to k- commit to kid who obviously they they have liked for a long time and obviously you know very publicly brought him in um, to see or to usher in a new era of Bucks basketball or whatever they've said about it before. They want to keep a continuity. They think they obviously value his, you know, his pedigree, you know, being a very good basketball player. Obviously they trust where uh, the franchise is going under his direction. So in that sense, it does make sense to have, to commit to him if you know they say there's a, you know, uh, one year left on his contract, and, and or some kind of option. I don't know. I can't remember. If he did, that, but I'm sure not. Anyway, um,
1: no. I think it's. Makes, a, I think it's straight one year. Straight I mean, one year.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, yes. I. From that sense, it does make sense to keep moving forward with kid.
1: I'm going to counter that with, first of all, <laughs> yeah, first of all, there is there is more than one thing I've got for this, unsurprisingly. <laughs> um, has Kid done enough as a basketball coach to warrant that? Because I feel like this goes back to something we talked about earlier, that you brought up, this idea of the books as a business, which they are a business, and you talked about Kid's pedigree and... His status as a great basketball player. Let's be very real here. He's been a much better ambassadorial figure for the books than he has been a head coach. I mean, there's signs of promise, but there's no there's nothing so concrete that it's like, let's nail the colors to the mast. Jason Kidd is one of the best coaches in the league. How could we ever look elsewhere? Like, I, I just don't feel there was anything that clear-cut. Probably another playoff appearance this year does that. You'd say, okay, you inherited a franchise that was, at the time, about as big a loser as a loser can get. I mean, before the the 76ers set the standard for losing in the NBA, the Bucs had that season, which was pretty spectacularly bad. Um, So, sure, he played a big part in steadying the ship, more than that but then you have this season as a coach forget everything else forget Jason Kidd the name and his reputation and the power that that brings to the organization forget the impact it's played in securing the arena in bringing greater publicity and attracting free agents because all of those things are very important with him in the organization but at the end of the day, he is being paid to be the head coach. So as head coach, doesn't make any sense. Ah. I'm, not, I'm, not looking to, I'm not looking to lead you with that by phrasing it the same way. But <laughs> just just within that within that concept of him being the coach of the team, that's what he's I mean. With any other coach, like, say, Justin Zanuck is coming in from Utah. Utah's coach is Quinn Snyder. Quinn Snyder was a college head coach, and assistant in college, an NBA assistant, and he became a head coach. So I think you'd agree, most people who are in the know in the NBA, Quinn Snyder is an excellent coach, mm-hmm. but he has no extra – none of that other stuff stands with him it's not a part of who he is at the end of the day if kid isn't interested in the front office his job description is exactly the same as a guy like quinn snyder's yes so has he done enough in that sense to earn this extension was it necessary I'll honest go over honest for, answers, honest answers.
0: I'll go from two angles, and I'll give my honest answer. From the organiza- from the ownership side of things, again, not to play this card once again. <laughs> from their eyes, he's done – they obviously feel that he's done enough to warrant a contract and such because first season, there was kind of – obviously, they just bought the team – after a terrible, awful, (laughs) forgetful season. And they were better than the sum of their parts. You know what I mean? They all – it was just not miraculous, but just incredibly unexpected going in the playoffs after, you know, this great turnaround. And it wasn't the fact that – I mean, we talked about it in the past. It wasn't anything one one player in particular – it was all, you know, the sum of their parts led by Jason Kidd.
1: Was was that not part of the mistake, though, that the owners have admitted to? Was I think they, much like everyone else, credited to the sum of their parts being greater than that. But they actually, in doing that, they underestimated how good or how important those parts were specifically.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. And that feeds into this season where... We heard, you know, obviously you bring in a guy like Greg Monroe. We talked about this in the past. You bring in a guy like Greg Monroe to that fills up a what everybody thought at the time, a void that, or not a void, but it fills in this absence that the Bucks have lacked for such a long time. They lacked a, a you know, productive low post scorer, big man, all this, everything that to tie together, um especially after the whole Larry. Larry Sanders' situation and all that stuff. He did – I mean, they obviously did not go to the playoffs. It was a disappointing season. But you can make an argument, and I'm guessing this is how the ownership or even the organization would spin this out to be, that he did his job right by making Middleton, uh, Giannis, and Jabari – Seeing, you know, letting them flourish, letting them, I mean, they, they had to by default because of all the pieces around them just being hurt, not productive, or just, you know, whatever. So that's how I could see the ownership saying, well, this is, these are the reasons why we want to move forward with Jason That does not, <laughs> that, that, that's not my point of view at all in this. I think I don't know. I I think I think this is, would have been a great year to see what he could do to maybe not put pressure on him, but you want to see him. What can he do to like when things when you know there isn't security or you never know. You never know like a stable or a sign that maybe I'm going to continue in this, in this position, I would have liked to see what he would have done in that sense to kind of, you know, move forward, you know, to do different things than what he did last year or this past year that I generally disagreed with. Um, so in that sense, I don't think I, I don't know. I, I guess I agree with some of, moving forward with him, but it's just, I don't know. It's such a weird, when someone gets, when you hear that there is like a contract extension or their teams want to mutually agree to a one or whatever after the season end, there is kind of like, oh, like a few or like, you know, kind of a relief, I guess. I don't think that was really the case with, or I don't think a lot of fans felt that way. Maybe I'm biased in that sense, but it was more like, oh, okay. Like, kind of just, I guess this is where we're going.
1: See, I I agree with your suggestion of how the owners were likely thinking. I think that's accurate. I just think it's, it's ignoring everything that they should know about business. Let's turn it back to business. Forget about basketball. Everything they should know about business. It's ignoring that to do it now because he's on a three-year deal. His contract expires next year. So the first season went very well. Second season went not so well. What we've all established was the veterans were really important in that first year. So without them, the team wasn't quite as good. So that leads to a point where it's only natural, and they should be. They shouldn't be blindly sort of taking his word for it or they believing everything that comes across from the results he gets but you've got to look at that first year and go was that more a product of the veterans than his coaching that's just solid decision making to at least ask that question you can conclude no it was 100 percent kids coaching but you've got to ask the question to begin with. You don't You don't really know where you stand if you don't ask that sort of tough question. And I'm going to guess they did. So you then move to this year where, as you said, okay, at the point right now, we're all excited about Point Giannis, about how Jabari kicked on, Middleton... Middleton's development as a scorer, his added comfort with the ball in his hands, and we can say, all right, you know what? He developed a three young players, but as you sort of alluded to, he did it by accident. Middleton had to take on that role because pretty much the entire roster was doing nothing around him at that point. He was the only guy playing well, so he had the ball a lot. He did some different things, and you know what? He was good at it and it worked out. And then how many bizarre decisions did we go through before we got to point Giannis and we got to say, Monroe coming off the bench and things like that, uh, that not only benefited Giannis, but Jabari with the greater space up front. I mean, we tried O.J. Mayo, a point guard, before we got and to- that,
0: And that obviously counteracted or counterweighted. The effect of that was MCW's just blast season. You know what I mean? Like, it, it wasn't consistent. A lot of it is, falls on his shoulders. But this is a vital piece they've thought highly of him. Obviously, made the
1: trade for. Well, no, don't even say they, because once again, if we're looking at this from the owner's point of view, Kid is the guy who wanted MCW, according to all reports. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's an important lesson, and that's fine. That as fans, that should be sort of chalked up as look, it's a lesson. He was new to it. You can't just sort of go recklessly for a guy, and then just sort of toss them aside and you know there's there has to be some sort of line in the middle with all of that but in that bigger picture with kids do you not have to go okay let's play best two out of three let's call it one 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 at the moment it's one all no seriously you say <laughs> no, no, we'll chalk yeah. we'll the first season up in your favor but We've got to look at last year with skepticism. You can tell them that. Look, this is nothing. You're our guy. This is nothing personal against you. But we want you to prove that you are the 2014-15 guy rather than the 2015-16 guy. Mm -hmm. Because I said this before and you're going to laugh again, but nobody wants Jason Kidd. You don't have to tie him down to a contract to guard against him going somewhere else before his contract is up uh, the one thing i think kid understands it might, ne- might necessarily always be his approach but i feel like he's a guy who understands and would appreciate straight talking from others so i'm gonna guess you could say to him look you know you're our guy you know how much we value you but you've got to show us just how good you are before we can sit down and flesh out your new contract I think that that just makes sense. It's like, give him the contract year. Let's find mm-hmm. out if he's contract year OJ Mayo or contract year Jared Bayless.
0: Miles Palmer. Yeah. You
1: know what I mean? So that's that's the place where I come from where it makes no sense. And then to feed into that even more, and let's take two steps back again and let's hope that we're going to take steps forward out of it. If... Justin Zanuck is the new GM and he is the GM 12 months from now when John Hammond's contract expires and when Jason Kidd's contract is supposed to expire. Why are you extending Jason Kidd now? Rather than letting the contract wind down, letting Justin Zanuck get to know him. He's going to be making so many of your basketball decisions. Let him get a read on Jason Kidd, the coach. And as The ownership, you sit down with him 12 months from now and you say, okay, Jason's contract's up. What do you think we should do? What's your read on Jason Kidd, the coach? Justin Zanuck can say, I think he's good at this, he's bad at this, can leave the room and the owners can make their decision. But why are you hiring a new GM, supposedly, and forcing a coach upon him? And it's not like the perfect option to just reassess things isn't there, it is. I mean, it could still be kids and it could go, you know what, I agree with you, kid is the guy, but why get involved in all of this now rather than waiting till 12 months down the line?
0: Yeah, I mean, makes perfect sense. But when it comes to the facts, when things make perfect sense? They don't happen.
1: <laughs> if you could then explain to me what, when it comes to the books, it means when things don't make any sense, because I feel like that would be more useful to me in yeah. in a day-to-day setting if I knew what that was. <laughs> I, just not too often where I go, that makes perfect sense.
0: <laughs> I, uh, I, I mean,
1: I don't know. And uh, part of this is as well. <laughs> Zanik is... So much apathy. <laughs> no, but he's... I just feel like he's a different guy. So, if they're hiring him and he's the GM, it's a shift in direction. And Maybe we'll talk a little about that in, in a few minutes. But it's something a little bit different. His coach, not necessarily his hire alone, but I'm guessing he was consulted. And as I mentioned earlier, it was Quinn Snyder in Utah. He was there when Snyder was brought in. Zanik is someone who's worked very closely with the D-League. The Jazz are lucky enough to have a team. So someone like Snyder, he would have got a very good read on. And it's a different style of coach he has seen come up. The complete opposite to Kidd. Where Kidd is here on reputation alone. Zanik has been in a situation where he's been watching a team. I don't, I mean, grow as well as the Bucs. Possibly better. They're in a tougher conference. Mm-hmm. they maybe didn't quite have the books high of last year. um. in part, because when they got to the playoffs, they had to play the Golden State Warriors, not the Bulls in round one. um. But they didn't have the lows of this year either. They were more sort of even keel. Even when they miss out, they are just sort of just outside. And it's not a big step back on their part. He's seen all of that happen with, uh, a coach, like a coach's coach. And now he's got this type of coach, this sort of celebrity coach, this former player who's yet to really prove it. I just, there's such a big difference in that. And it's not a problem. That It's something different than what he's worked with before. I'm sure he can adjust to that. It's just, why not wait and get his input? He's an experience. He's worked all angles of this he's been an agent i'm sure he's been an agent for coaches or worked with he's worked within an agency that's an agent for coaches he'll know all angles of the coaching game so he might come mm-hmm. from a school of thought where he's like you know what i really think you want a coach who has worked his way up from assistant coaches to the lowest level to the highest level that's the best way to do it we want a guy who will get hands-on in a basketball sense but is grounded in coaching and from my own experience of research that's what works best but why why bother with any of this if you're not giving them the chance to do that i mean
0: that's that's the ultimate question and you i don't know i mean it is say there are i don't know it just puts it puts both Kid Zanuck, obviously. Well, him has already been in a weird position for a while, but that's something new. But it puts them in a, in a weird position where, say, the ownership—they obviously trust, or you know, are appro- they approve of Jason Kidd's overall Jason Kidness. <laughs> I guess, for lack of a better word, we all we all they, know
1: what that means. That's,
0: <laughs> and they bring they're bringing in Xanik, um, and say he's maybe he's not on the same page. Where did, it, where did things go from there? We don't know. Uh, that's obviously we're focusing on the negative things, but that's that's all valid questions because who knows? What if it tilts that way? What if they? Things start breaking bad. I don't I, I don't know. It's
1: it's it's a delicate situation to say the least. What if things start breaking bad? I feel uh I feel there's a poster coming on. Maybe if David Dunn is listening, there's a video <laughs> to be made for a preview for next season. What there is just you've you've given the perfect quote to signal in the Justin Zanek area. What? What if things start breaking bad? I want to just sort of bring in a couple of things that I came across in my own research on Zanuck and trying to get a better sense of who he is, what he's about. I mentioned earlier multiple times that Adrian Wojnarowski was the man who dropped the the meatiest report, I guess. <laughs> um, Zanuck's. Zanuck's arrival in Milwaukee that wasn't the first time both of our names sort of came together in the one place as I'm sure many of you if you listen to this, you're into podcasts you're into NBA podcasts you'll likely listen to Adrian Wojnarowski's Vertical Podcast and I did, before
0: you go further, I just want to admit something I am the person that has made the background music in those podcasts (laughs) I they stand out for some reason in my brain that they it just sounds I don't know. I
1: not it's not funny. I mean those I hope are, you're getting royalties like, off then. Oh yeah. That
0: that one's called Track O One or <laughs> Track O two. Sorry, that was a terrible joke.
1: <laughs> I was a When Yahoo gave them all the money to set up that whole thing. Maybe there was a little bit there that they could have got something not so royalty free. <laughs> I mean our our intro to this podcast is comprised of royalty free music.
0: Well. Yeah.
1: But it doesn't quite sound as royalty free as the verticals. So we mix some things in with it. Adrian wants to <laughs> Maybe they blew the whole budget on cinema voiceover guy, and that's the yeah. problem. <laughs> Copy
0: this summer.
1: Well, Last February, on the Vertical Podcast, the week of the trade deadline, Roach held sort of a roundtable with three NBA executives. and They were Houston Rockets, Vice President of Basketball Operations, Gerson Rossos, um, Warriors Assistant GM, Kirk Lackup, and then Utah Assistant General Manager, Justin Zanuck. And if you haven't listened to this podcast or if you listened to it back then and obviously it was devoid of any real context for you, it's well worth the listen for multiple reasons. One, Zanuck says some very interesting things, some of which I'll get to now. But also, it breaks down a lot of the walls of what I guess we feel like trade negotiations are or what the job of an executive is or how it plays out and it's sort of fascinating just how open teams are with everything when we talk about will they make a call and sort of no one or at least no one who does their job well it seems picks up the phone and rings and says i want to trade you this player for that player it's just it's just not how it works. Um I actually think it was Justin Zanek who said the way he generally goes about things is he'll just ring all all 29 sort of GMs regularly or assistant GMs and he'll just ask them, How's their season going? And then at some point you ask them, How do you feel about this guy? And how do you feel about this guy? And over time you get an idea of who they feel are key pieces, who they feel have potential to grow and that's when the different seeds get sown and the dialogue opens and things sort of unfold from there. But that sort of openness that teams just discuss how they feel about their players or how they feel their season's going, it's struck me a little bit, and I think it's something interesting to keep in mind. One of, I think, the most pertinent parts of the podcast, though, considering that this is the man who could well be the book's new GM now, came when Woj asked the three men with him, what is it about a team or what is it in a deal that really puts you off or makes it difficult for you to get a deal done that should otherwise be a little bit more, I guess, a little bit smoother. And there's a couple of quotes here, one from Zanuck and one from Kirk Lackup that I want to run through because... Unfortunately, I do think they have some relevance to what we've seen with the books in recent times. The first one is from Zanuck, and he replied first, and he put this as, for him, the worst part of dealing with any team or the biggest obstacle to getting a deal done. I quote, If you have a reputation that your ownership or your management group isn't tight about leaks, that would be a problem because no matter who you're calling about, 15th guy on the roster, number one guy on the roster, these conversations should be private. There's an automatic level of trust that needs to be built up, and that's difficult to do if you don't have a relationship with a team or not a very good one. Whoever you're talking about the beginnings of a deal may not even be able to happen. Sorry, whoever you're talking about at the beginnings of a deal may not even be able to happen simply by who you're dealing with and how deals have gone in the past. Uh, Kirk Lacup, the Warriors' assistant GM, followed that up by saying they have a very good relationship with the Jazz in particular. And he retold basically the anecdote of when they were signing Andre Iguodala, they used the Jazz to dump some salary. And the value of that hasn't been lost on them ever since because... Obviously, salary dumps are very sensitive when it comes to the players are just sort of being dropped off and everything. And no information leaked out before anything needed to be final. So they were accommodating and they did things efficiently. So in speaking of how good things are between them and the Jazz, Lackup said it's knowing who the trade partner is, knowing that if you're going to offer something to them, they're going to offer back and it's knowing that it's a real offer. And that's not going to, oh, we're going to have to run this up to ownership. And then you don't hear for a day and they come back and, oh, no, that's not something he's interested in doing because then you've wasted everybody's time. To touch on the two of these, I feel like both of these have been issues for the books. First of all, look at the fact that we're able to have this podcast, this particular episode of the podcast where there is so little of this that is fact that is official statement released by the books, but it's so widely reported. We joke about Mark Stein reporting the assistant GM confirmation with Zanek, but it means he had the news and then Adrian Wojnarowski also had the news and had the, kicks
0: kicks the door down.
1: (laughs) That's two different directions, whether they're from different sources, whatever pretty much at the same time the information got out to before it needed to the books still haven't announced anything at our time of recording that's a leak and the books have had more of these than anyone whether it's the books are interested in i mean i was on i was on duty writing on trade deadline day I was reporting every rumor that came out. I woke up that morning not expecting to have like 10 different rumors, but clearly if the books were making a phone call, they were putting it on speakerphone and letting people listen. (laughs) I don't know. But you know, like in a very serious way, you know what I mean? When... We had all the talk around that time, Michael Carter Williams was going to be traded. Then we had the news, Michael Carter Williams was assured that he wasn't going to be traded. None of it's necessary if there wasn't a leak in the first place. Mm -hmm. You don't have to rubbish reports. It's the same. Jason Kidd doesn't have to say, you know, no, no, I'm not interested in being in the front office. If we don't hear so much stuff about how interested he is in being in the front office. Miles Plumley. Miles Plumley was going to be shopped back in December. He was basically the first the first player on the trade block in the NBA before anything happened. We had all of this. The books met with Carlos Boozer, were interested in Karan Butler. Those things came to nothing, but yet we still had to know about them. And I don't know, you you a lot of you might say that's part and parcel of the NBA. But it really isn't for every franchise. The Jazz are a particularly good example of a franchise where everything is kept very in-house and tight. And maybe that's part of why Zanik comes that way. Obviously, the Spurs fall in with the same sort of thinking. I come from the point of being a Hawks fan. It was a source of great joy and amusement every year Particularly, it's a little looser now, but when Danny Ferry was in charge, and maybe this is the Spurs side of things running off, nothing got out. There's a great, great meme of Danny Ferry in a rowboat with no leaks on it that would regularly surface on Hawk's Twitter. And it was so tight that when Woj does his annual, I'm going to tweet the draft picks out before they happen now not last year, but the year before he got every single one. And then the Hawks pick wasn't tweeted until it was announced on stage. And there's just something to that. There's obviously for fans, we all want to hear the details. I should probably not be saying this. People come and visit our site on the basis of rumors (laughs) get out there. But in reality, it's not the best way to run your organization or to nurture strong relationships and trust around the league Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and that applies to your own players and that applies to front offices and players who you might be looking to sign up at some point so considering how some things have gone for the books i thought that was interesting of zanuck and it made me think of okay well this could be a positive as in he comes in and we sort of weed out the rats (laughs) And everything becomes super tight in the book's front office. Or he's going to come in and it's going to be a really big adjustment because he's going to be going, where is all this information? How is it getting out there? The other part, the Kirk Lackup quote in response to that. And this was something that Zanuck and Gerson Ross has all sort of backed up as well. It's important that when you're talking to General Manager and Assistant GM, President of Basketball Operations, whoever it is, if you're discussing a deal, you want to know that it's something real you're talking about. And obviously, we don't have a lot to work on here because the inner workings of a deal don't normally come out in really big detail. But the one thing that we do have is this famous Woj report from the trade deadline, which uh, if that's exactly what transpired, probably was the trigger for much of this, and that was that kid was discussing a deal with the Pelicans that would have seen Greg Monroe traded, and the ownership had to step in and say no. And listening to this podcast, uh, listening for the reason of, I guess, to try to get the to Nozanic better, but hearing that quote from Kirk Larkup, it just made me think a little bit about We all talk about, well, why don't they go back to the Pelicans this summer? Pelicans want Monroe. Why don't they go back and they do a deal? Pelicans might not want to do a deal because there was reportedly something on the table and the owner stepped in and they killed it. So how do they take the next offer the books give them seriously? There's quite a lot of things that haven't been ideal in the way the books have dealt with them in recent years. But I just thought it was interesting when you hear executives speak so openly about what matters to them in negotiations. The two big no-no's they put out there. Unfortunately, it's not too hard to reach for applicable examples for the books. And as I said, hopefully, new appointment and whatever this is... start of things changing up in that regard how do you react to those sort of those sort of sentiments like do you see the book's relation is there anything that jumps out at you that i maybe haven't thought of like i'm 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 not looking to make a big deal out of that but there's definite instances of those sort of those sort of things with the books
0: um, well, I, I thought of one. To, I mean, the fact that they even before the rebrand came out, there were rumors that they were rebranding, that they were changing the colors, all that stuff. That does, I mean, that's not an organizational thing. It could be, you know, whatever.
1: Um, I mean, that could be Joe in the copy room, yeah, you know what I mean. I, I that doesn't, I don't do think Deborah. No, Deborah in the ticket office. I mean, none of that, none of that matters quite as much. But there's certain things that, like, you know, only a select number of people are going to know about, and it's when that lands with the press. And once again, Mo, this is common. I mean, it's in everyone's interest at times to get the word out there, and people have their own agendas, but. When do the books catch you off guard? Other people catch you off guard. Reporters catch you off guard with a books move. But when's the last time like a books announcement has gone and beaten everything to it and you've gone, hmm, that's interesting. Mm. I can only think of one and it's not a basketball one, really. And that was... When they announced Johnson and Johnson, I don't, I don't think I'd seen that anywhere else before they made the big announcement, and that's sort of how it yeah. should be. Yeah, but in a basketball yeah. sense, I don't know what trade, what, what free agent signing, what draft deal that it's sort of just maybe that's unfair because under this new ownership and things under current construction. Like, they weren't overly active in last year's market. There was only really re-signing Middleton, signing Monroe, and then signing Copeland. Um,
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of what. I don't think I can think of anything else in the last two years. No, yeah.
1: Time will tell. We'll see this summer, but I it's something that I felt for a little while. I get uncomfortable with the amount that we hear. And it is once again to go back to earlier, it's like the GM and waiting and then sources disputing the GM and waiting claims. That really sounds like something that should be happening internally and um, the discussion's yeah. over if he is really the GM and waiting. We don't need there to be confusion behind the scenes and for it all to actually play out in public where we have the need to actually go and talk about it like we're doing now. It would be much better if we never had to talk about front office stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I mean, like, in a very, it, it's it's become the norm in a way like this isn't unusual for us, but there's so many other teams around the league, so many other teams that if we were covering and we said, Oh yeah, we we're going to do a podcast, which is basically all front office politics. Yeah. I mean, it would just seem so strange. So it's interesting to monitor how, how involved do you think the ownership are in the basketball decisions? if we do have like the rumors that they've vetoed that trade they're now obviously picking a new gm but extending the coach before he's there scale of one to ten even what like are they in the middle or are they slightly past that
0: i'd probably say six um I mean, we've heard even just the Monroe signing, the big, you know, Monroe signing, obviously, they were part of the meeting. Uh, not to bring this back up, but they they even contacted Marlon Waynes to make a video in the pitch to Greg Monroe. Um, we've, even this couple weeks ago, we heard Jamie Dynan in on draft interviews. Um, I They're definitely fr- active. Um, and uh, that sounds like, metal, like meddling with you know, the inner workings of an organization, but at the end of the day, they are the ownership.
1: That, you, have, you want them to know what's going on with their product exactly. as well. They if they didn't yeah. care, it would be sort of worrying. Yeah. Uh, yeah there basically. is a fine line, but you do want to see them involved too.
0: Yeah, and they have, obviously have significant money at stake with the arena and just – the team itself, re-brand, the rebranding, even, you know, back when they... I can't remember what it was. Was it... It than Zach Lowe, when they announced that they're making the alternate court, he said, how much was it? It was like 100000 to make a new court. Something like that. I can't remember. I actually,
1: it, it could be a little bit more. That's something that I've even seen from different things related to, like, Zaza... Uh, yeah. buying the court and they're normally like so in demand that that wasn't a straightforward thing. It's that we just think of it as some nice wood. It's not quite as simple <laughs> as that.
0: Yeah, I mean there's they want to make their franchise they they obviously, again, they have files say they want to make Bucks a premier franchise from the top down, all that stuff. So it is good to have them fairly active with day-to-day work or operations, and even seeing these players because they're investing a lot in the future of not just draft player or draft picks or players that enter the draft or whatever, but also free agency. Obviously, they they set their sights on last year getting a big name, and they got them. Obviously, <laughs> did not work. To how they planned it but that was their goal. They achieved their goal. So, they are definitely active, and that's, can't really say that's a bad thing. At this point, I would say.
1: I briefly mentioned it earlier, but I sort of feel like this is, they've let everything sit as it was, and they've tried to get a lay of the land. They've sort of sat back, let themselves bed into the organization for two years and a lot of the, a lot of stuff has happened but in an organizational and sort of a real basketball sense there has been very little change.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Most of your changes come in other areas of the franchise not on the basketball side of things. The only major change I feel that they've had their hands all over is bringing in kids. And I don't know how much thought had to go into that after the season Larry Drew had when they inherited the team. So otherwise, Hammond, maybe they've had to take two years to see if he was their guy. What type of front office? What type of franchise do they want to be? How do they want to go about scouting players or what type of profile they want within their organization in terms of employees all of that needed to be decided and that's something that you'll see it's sort of it feels like it's the conventional wisdom for once again it could be in any walk of life but if you're in some sort of management role or position of power you don't just come in and overturn all the tables and tear it down and start again it's normally common sense to step back let things happen and say okay this is where we're at and now we know this part over here is toxic but what we have on the other side is actually really good so we should do something more with that weed that part out to me that's the feeling i'm now getting because all of this is happening a little at once it seems and it might not be the end of it today as we record this I mean, for the likes of us or for any fans who are active on Twitter or sort of really into reading in the basketball world, um, they will have been more than familiar with the work of Seth Partnow over at HP Basketball's Lyle Calculus. He announced today he is now working in the book's analytics department. I believe it was as a special consultant. That's not like... It's not the major hire. He's not heading up the the analytics department completely. So it's not on that scale where we go, oh, he's going to completely redefine the franchise, but obviously his voice is going to be heard. And even those hires to pad out the teams like that within the organizational structure are interesting. And I don't know about you, but a guy like that feels like something very progressive. And when coupled with the Zanuck news and in such a short space of time, it starts to feel like something bigger, even though you might be sort of piecing smaller pieces together. Are you getting that feeling too, that there might be the start of different ideas coming into how the books are run and what they're all about?
0: Yeah, I I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, I mean... I, I, uh, yeah, I can I can't do much
1: more than that. Episode. No, that's that's fine. That's all we need for it. Um, <laughs> it's gonna be interesting to see how all of that plays out. You'd hope someone like Set will have a strong voice there. Um, mm. As I said, anyone who is a regular reader of sort of major MBA blogs some of the smartest MBA blogs out there to be more than familiar with his work clearly he is a couple of steps ahead of about 90% of us out there so (laughs) they're the sort of guys you want to think they're turning to you don't have to be this organization that lies fully on one side of sort of the analytics divide or the other but you'd like to think they take traditional scouting, analytics, everything in together, and they just make informed decisions. It goes back to everything we discussed earlier. All we can ask for is that everything is considered, and the decisions they make are with the most information at their disposal. We're going to see. There's a lot there's a lot of things to come this summer. Um, It might sort of ebb and flow a little. We're so close to the draft that we'll all very naturally forget about some of this stuff because we'll have a new first round pick, or potentially not if they trade the pick, as there are some suggestions they might do. Whatever, we'll have some new player to split ourselves on, and half of us can love him and half of us can hate him. That's welcome to the world of the books. For those of you who've been waiting and we've made you wait longer than usual, it is now time for the mailbag. First question this week comes from Mike Gartland at Shafty Bro. Mike wants to know why wasn't he interviewed for the assistant GM job?
0: Hmm.
1: I wanna say he's too radical. Too radical. The books are starting to be more progressive, but they're not ready for Mike's decisions just yet. Yeah.
0: They probably, I mean, I'm guessing they just lost his like contact information.
1: It could be that. Yeah. I'm going to say they might still have it on file, but they felt the world wasn't ready for Point Vaughn and (laughs) Damian Inglis finals MVP and. things of that ilk but the the next who knows maybe the next great or not so great books revolution will have Mike (laughs) Mike at the forefront of it Um, (laughs) next one from Alex underscore Koenig 023 Is Nerland's Noel worth it if we can get him for one of the big three? Who would be the easiest to let go? We can actually brush over this one pretty quickly because we addressed this, I think, on our regular win and six, where I half suggested would Jordan consider Chris Middleton for Nerland's Noel? And he reacted not so positively. So wow. I'm guessing, I'm guessing if you wouldn't consider Chris, you are not considering Yanis or Jabari either?
0: Not at all.
1: With your genuine, or I I should probably say, with your general disposition to sit on the fence, I suppose I'm not going to get an answer out of you for who would be easiest to let go. Who
0: would be easiest to let go? I don't know,
1: actually. I I actually don't either. It's really difficult. That's a weird...
0: I mean... It's not a weird question, but it is a weird thing to think of.
1: It's like saying... your three-star players are in a fire and you can only save two of them. Yeah. (laughs) I
0: I like how you just equated the 76ers to a fire.
1: (laughs) It was more the idea of letting go... one of the big three, but oh, yeah,
0: but also the sixers, are they,
1: really- they might end up in a fire out of that yeah. decision, but yeah. Um, <laughs> not Yanis, I don't know, I don't, yeah. Who would be easiest to let go? Whoever brings the better return, whoever's return makes it easy enough to let one of them go. I mean, if you get a Godfather offer, well then it might be easy to let one of them go. But can you
0: get a Godfather offer from the Sixers?
1: Uh, forget the Sixers. I, I'm moving away from that part of it. You probably oh, okay. I mean, you probably can. Yeah. If they give you two Noel and their first round pick next year, like I mean, that's Or sorry, one, they the first overall pick. So if the Sixers call you and they go, "Hey, you know, we really like uh, Jabari. I still we really like enough. Jabari Parker, and we've got Nerlens Noel, the first overall pick, and next year's first unprotected. That's not enough, Jordan."
0: Are you mean? Are you mean the the Lakers' pick?
1: That oh yeah, you can finally yeah. have the Lakers' pick. <laughs> um, that's probably, back to its
0: rightful place.
1: That's probably enough. <laughs> I'm gonna say that sort of deal. I would move. One of the non-Janus non pieces. Your pick of Ingram R. Simmons, Noel, and next year's Lakers pick. Come on. That's a godfather offer, Jordan. That's why it's never going to happen.
0: <laughs> now you catch it
1: Next one from Alex underscore Koenig, 0 2 If Dwight Howard says Milwaukee is his first choice, What price is too much for him? Assuming he takes less than the max. One dollar,
0: Bob. No. Um, What price is too much? Assuming... What was the last part? Sorry.
1: Assuming he takes less than a max. Which I think is probably not a good assumption to make. I'd pay him... I'd pay him what Greg Monroe was earning. I'd go to that and try to figure the other things out. If he wanted to take the contract Greg Monroe got last summer, if you were able to do that again and offer it to Dwight hard, and he was happy to do that, let's do it. But I wouldn't go more than that and he's never gonna accept that low of an offer anyway. Yeah. Uh, so ends the White Howard Milwaukee Bucks discussion. No. Until they give him the max, and don't think of the repercussions down the line. Um, and next Justice, one. Justin
0: Zanuck immediately leaves his position.
1: <laughs> maybe, maybe he's waiting to officially announce he's left Utah until he sees them leave the White Howard's max contract alone. Uh, at Metastic. More likely to be gone before the season starts. John Hammond or Greg Monroe? I think this is a great question. I've I thought about this when I saw it and I have difficulty with it. There's probably a timeline where both can be gone, where neither is gone, where one or the other is gone. Hammond. Hey, Oh, um, I don't think either will be gone.
0: Oh, I, I if, should if, say if, if
1: I had to go for one though, I'm gonna go for Monroe. Oh. I think. Does
0: approve?
1: I just it goes back to what I said earlier. I don't see how if he's not gone by now. How he's gonna go before his contract is up? Yeah, I maybe I'm just talking myself into something that makes sense, which is a big mistake on my part. But right now, it just it can't be what it seems from the outside. There's got to be more to it. I haven't been broken completely yet, Jordan. I've still got Give a little time. bit, of, a little bit of hope in me. Give it time next one from uh, Chris underscore Rikers uh, Chris of course is good friend of the site and the editor over at uh, HP Basketball's Upside and Motor based on recent reports do you think Oshkosh is a viable location for the books NBA D-League team or do you prefer another hmm this one, too, was... to me, it seems completely wide open. I don't know if you saw the all the mentions that seemingly Madison isn't an option. They want to expand the Bucks fan base beyond traditional strongholds of, obviously, Milwaukee and Madison, they feel, is the other one. Yeah. So I think that opens the race up pretty wide open
0: plus i mean from that angle too madison's a very it's obviously a college town that could be even with you know younger students or you know adults be interested in basketball trying to break into the mold of a college town is pretty tough when
1: People I mean, they're, don't, they're so entrenched in Badgers basketball, yeah.
0: Yeah, just Badgers and just.
1: And football. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've got a lot to compete
0: And even though the D League, if you're an NBA fan, it's grown in, in its profile, but for a casual fan, say if they're just, you know, rooting for their college, that might not just attract them to go to a game, even though it would be great to go to a D League game or whatever. It just that it might not, you know, catch on there. So that makes sense. As far as says I was surprised that they are, I guess, the – not the – yeah, they are kind of like the leading candidate right now.
1: They're just the first ones to step forward, really, it seems.
0: Yeah, yeah. But – I, like you said, they obviously want to broaden their audience and fan base and reaching a place like Oshkosh where it's kind of it's not too it's northern part of the state for or more well, northern from southeast Wisconsin. And I, I don't know, it kinda it, it kind of touches a lot of bases where they want to go, obviously. So I think it, I think it's viable. For sure. I wonder. I don't know. That's, I don't know. I guess we'll have to see.
1: I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think now if Madison's out of play and I'm working with my limited geographical knowledge of Wisconsin, because within two hours of Milwaukee is another sort of stipulation. Like the likes of Appleton and Green Bay, they're. The outside of that range, really aren't they? They're beyond the Appleton. Appleton is close, like it's about it could probably squeeze in.
0: Yeah, it's touching, it's like the Fox Valley that's what they call it. Uh, they're going there. That, that's like the general area along with Fond du Lac. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of another. They can't really go any far north really.
1: Like where is it where is it leaving as options? You've got maybe Sheboygan is probably within two hours, the Sheboygan Shebucks. <laughs> uh Green Bay, like you said. Is Green Bay not beyond that again? Is it not?
0: It's about from Milwaukee, which I think. Something over two
1: hours. Technically, that's supposedly out of consideration. Mm. Um, oh, okay, yeah, that's
0: right. You do lacrosse, Eau Claire, but those are all, again, college times. I think.
1: There's no Eau Claire. I don't know. It seems that two-hours thing, which I understand the reasoning for it, but it cuts down the options dramatically, at least to me, from the outside, it seems. Mm-hmm. And The report was that they did have five proposals from different cities, wasn't it?
0: I believe so.
1: So, you're going to guess probably some cities who are outside of two hours are going to make their pitch for it anyway. From what I know, Oscar seems a relatively good bet. A lot of the other places, as you said, Madison not being considered. Madison was probably the most obvious choice, but You made a strong point where there are other college towns oshkosh being one of them madison is maybe on another scale in that sense with just the pull that the badgers have and could really take away from your product for a significant part of the year green bay i don't i don't know if that's ever really a good idea because You want to go somewhere where you have a chance to be the thing, and you are going to be the most distant second fiddle in history in Green Bay. Mm -hmm. When football season is on anywhere in the state of Wisconsin, it's going to be difficult to get people to care about the D League team. But in Green Bay, I mean, doesn't doesn't sound like you go to season. I know it's tricky the one thing i will say i i wasn't quite keen on was the idea that they're going to build a new arena in oshkosh when i looked into this before and don't test my memory by asking me where um but there seemed to be plenty of pretty sizable arenas around the state that lay vacant more often than not and we even talked about why don't they play in the new practice facility? That's the most cost efficient. That's, that's about as within two hours as you can get being able to just <laughs> walk down from your office in the practice facility to watch the League games um, with them looking to expand the fan base so that would seem to be ruled out too. I just, uh, the idea of it should be so much simpler for many reasons. It's very inexpensively, very basic in comparison. I just don't think we need another arena building thing. You yeah. I mean, there's, I know there's not going to be the red tape. It's not the same. But at the same time, there's got to be places that are perfectly up to standard mm. that you can slot in. And you could potentially have got this done sooner and started. It's not going to happen for next season. But there's got to have been places where they could have got the wheels in motion a little bit sooner and made it happen. Yeah. I just feel like that's that's something that you go, oh, we'll be all on track. Everything's going to be good for next fall in time for next season. And then all it takes is whoever's contracted to build it. There's some problem. There's some delay. And you miss another season of having a D-League team. It's like why give yourself the extra complication if you don't have to that's my only real thought on that i'm open to if if any of you live in parts of the state that you feel meet the books criteria tweet at us make the case for for your hometown to be the home of the box d league team interested to hear where you think could be viable candidates The next question comes, once again, from Alex underscore Koenig, 023. Most likely option, books move up, trade back, stay still, or trade away completely?
0: Most likely option. I think they trade down.
1: I think most likely is Stay Still. Part of this comes once again from that podcast that we referenced quite a lot, but when you hear the executives talk, one of the things they talk about is obviously they all hate the instant reaction, grading, draft picks and things like this, the sort of stuff us despicable people drive off of. But <laughs> they said the real the reason why they hate that is because part of it can be like, why didn't they trade up and get that guy? Or why didn't they trade down and get that guy? And sometimes organizations try to do that. It's just not as easy as you think it is. So as much as trading down, I think the boat of us seems like the best option this year. Mm -hmm. Actually finding a partner who gives you what you want to trade down. Isn't that easy. You could say, Oh, the nuggets, let's trade down to the nuggets and then you ask the Nuggets for their two first-rounders sort of in good range below, and they, they laugh at you. There's no way we're giving you those two first-rounders. You tried the Celtics, and they go, eh, we'll give you the lesser of the first-rounders, and we'll give you a late second-rounder. You know what I mean? And that's not worthwhile. So I think taking all that into account, they'll try to maybe move one way or another, but stay still is most likely. Another one from Alex Koenig. Would Hassan Whiteside be a good fit with the Bucks? Better or worse than the white?
0: Mm, financially, no. I mean, it just seems like he, even with all, no matter how you feel about him, it seems like he's going to get an max this summer. Um as far as it goes, I don't know. I really. feel I
1: feel it's worse than the White. I think like we all love to talk about the White in terms of this the locker room cancer, the White Howard, which we mentioned on the other winning six this week, just isn't really as true as probably people like to believe. Hassan Whiteside has got a genuinely like stay away from that guy, he is trouble history. Like, that's that's the reason it took so long for him to finally find a home and show what he can do in the NBA. So maybe Dwight's disruptive ways are a little bit more subtle, and <laughs> I know some people might feel that's more dangerous, but Sam Whiteside could come in and, like blow everything to pieces
0: yeah
1: if it didn't Uh, go well like it it particularly miami is a very specific place to be when you consider how many teams in the nba is there where there would be more veterans than he's had there to surround himself with and then he comes to milwaukee and he would be the closest thing to a veteran that's not a recipe for success. I also, we've never seen him paid in the NBA. So I don't know if I want to be the first team on the other side of the Hassan white side has now got his money. Yeah
0: that, uh, that, yeah. that does not sound too promising. And uh, the stories that I, the stories about him before he obviously blew up are just like, it's crazy. It's super weird. It's really weird.
1: <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Next one from Alex once again. When we get the Oshkosh D-League team. It's quite a leap he's making there. But <laughs> When we get the Oshkosh D-League team, what will their name be? Hmm. I I think the books will call their D League team regardless of where they are placed they will call them nice. the books yeah I there's such a conscious thing to like invest in the brand and if they're wanting to put the team somewhere else in Milwaukee to promote that and to tie everything in I don't think they want to make it its own entity as much as they want to emphasize come support this team and you're sort of involved in the whole books experience that's, I wish I had the more interesting answer where we go. Yeah, they're definitely, we'll get a fun new name, but I like to go to all that trouble with rebranding and everything. I think they tie in what they've been working on to make the awareness even greater again.
0: Make the awareness greater again. <laughs> Sorry.
1: Um, That's the new one the future, is it? Yeah. Um, yeah I, feel, I, I feel like we need a new slogan. sorry to cut across you, but it's about time we got a new slogan I mean own the future is
0: so it's so the past
1: it's just so like pity I don't know it's it's hard to get behind it yeah that's that's what you say when your team is terribly bad when you're <laughs> when you're sort of... In the middle of the pack and holding, Horizon, holding yourself, holding yourself it's, back, it's, thanks to questionable decisions. Own the future is not appropriate then. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they're called Oshka, the Ashcash Own the Future. I don't know.
1: Let's do it. I love it. Can... That's
0: that's actually I don't know. That was kind of funny. With I didn't realize how funny that was with the D League team because you're, yeah. You know. Yeah, never mind.
1: Um I love that Jordan had his first genuinely funny joke in fifty-eight episodes of Win and Six and he stopped to say that was genuinely pretty funny. I didn't realise how <laughs> funny that was the whole D League. Yep.
0: out a mint julep. Um Yeah, there I, I I don't I think that, I think I would agree. I don't think they're gonna call it it might be terribly Original, you want to see something different, but as far as branding, that's you want. I I think that's how they're gonna view it, and a lot of teams do. Like, what now? The Bulls have Windy Hoffman Estates Bulls or something like that,
1: right? Windy City Bulls, isn't
0: it? Oh, they're playing, (laughs) they're playing in Hoffman Estates. I thought, why did I think they're Um, they're Windy
1: City Bulls, Bulls. (laughs) Long Island Nets, correct. Um, I'm actually not sure on that one. Sounds good, but it's northern
0: <laughs> Northern Arizona's Suns.
1: Yeah, which is, I mean, not very catchy, but that's get some Nas, get,
0: get the Nas, <laughs> catch the Nas. Fastest fears. Um, has got to be other. What there are definitely other teams. Oh, Knicks, Westchester Knicks. Yeah, it's it is a fairly common.
1: The newer, the newer franchises are all doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd say though, even more. I probably the Suns one is a good comparison where that's like a let's try and branch out and expand what we're doing within the state and build on awareness. Books would be in a similar place in that regard. So I just think they are so so invested in doing that and the, not having it in Milwaukee or Madison because you want people to know and sort of give you money for your product, you attach the book's name to it.
0: Mm.
1: Um, Alex Koenig's last question is, if LeBron James said he would sign with the books for the Vets minimum, (laughs) if Adam McGee, 11, shaved his beard, would you, question mark, then at David Dunn 21 weighed in on this with... Steph Curry for a moustache, question mark. Westbrook oh. for a soul patch, question mark. Leonard for a dye job, question mark.
0: Leonard for a dye job?
1: I, I'll shave my beard for any of these because none of these include the, like, the permanency that seems to be the <laughs> best with some of the other ones. Okay, I'll <laughs> shave my beard for LeBron at the Vets minimum, and then next week I'll have it back. That's okay with me. Um,
0: don't really. Would you do this, old
1: patch? Who do I get for that? Westbrook.
0: Yeah. And then, no, just don't take into account the player.
1: I'll definitely do Steph Curry for a mustache. I'll yeah. rock the Stephen Adams mustache. Uh yeah, I, I'll do it for for any of these players for a week. So you can all hold me to that. Go and get some sort of binding agreement where LeBron <laughs> agrees to sign for the vet's minimum if I wear a soul patch, and I will. Uh, I will trim. Big question, though, I is, will trim. My I the big question, uh, for Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, I mean, I can just dye it, like, a dark color, and it'll be fine, and yeah, why not?
0: No, if you're dying, you gotta do, like, bleeds blonde.
1: Jordan, none of these are in the question. There's no, if you're dying, you've gotta, that, that wasn't what was asked of me, so, I mean, <sighs> I've got sort of, I've got sort of a brown beard, I could dye it black, I mean, <laughs> yeah, let's, <laughs> let's live a little, um. Uh, next, next one
0: that is the definition of my how I live by the way dye my beard black
1: from David Dunn 21 all players available at 10 achieve their projections in the NBA armed with that foreknowledge who do you select hmm
0: can you repeat the question again I think I
1: missed something So, basically, if all of the players available at 10 on draft night reach their full potential, who do you pick now knowing that they're going to be the best case scenario for what you'd want them to be? Oh.
0: Man, that's a tough one. I think I'd go with... uh, I can't do either. i got to pick one.
1: I'm torn between two guys, so I might let you suggest two, just in case we're on the same two.
0: I think I'd go... One would be Baldwin. Yeah. The other...
1: The other. Oh my gosh. I thought you had two to choose from.
0: I know, but now I'm way.
1: This is just looking for a way to sit in the fence. That's all it was. I'm
0: wavering. Uh, I'd go Baldwin or. Oh man. I can't do it. I can't. Spit it
1: think... Jordan.
0: i go Baldwin or. um, um I can't spit it out. I can't believe
1: it. I think I'd go Baldwin. I'd go Baldwin or Marquise Chris. Oh. I know that's not a fit, but if he, <laughs> if he was, and I, I am fully the fit guy, but if he manages to be everything that he could be, I think the sky is the limit. With his his physical tools, he's already got some sort of really positive things in a raw sense, but if he became a great defender, shot the ball better, he has this great athleticism, can rebound, he's a top 10 player, if not even better in the league. I think that's the closest guy this year you get to finding Paul George at 10.
0: So not a Rudy Gay type player?
1: Not a Rudy Gay type player. Okay. <laughs> he can aim for Rudy Gay and he will hopefully far surpass that. I don't I don't actually think Chris will – I think Chris will go just a little before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but players that will be in the mix, he's definitely a contender. If – it will be hard for the Bucs to turn down Baldwin, though, in that situation. Exactly. That's like it's – he can already shoot, so there's a difference. But I know David will particularly appreciate this comparison in response to his question. But that's like if you offered any of us the Michael Carter Williams that we thought we were getting in the trade and he's figured everything out. I mean, who doesn't take that guy? It just happens he's figured close to nothing out. But, I mean – Baldwin can give you a lot of those things. He'll already be better at some of them, I think, nearly straight off, or have the potential to be better. Um, but he can shoot. Mm-hmm. And so add all of that together, you gotta, you get the guy who that sort of mold of what we thought was the book's ideal point guard, except he can shoot more. He's more comfortable off the ball, and he's even longer.
0: I, I I would entertain
1: Labissiere. too. I'm not sure I even, think... I'm not sure I even know what he is at a max sort of level. I feel like he's shown so little that yeah, it's like you're just making stuff up if you're giving him a max ceiling. Hmm. You're talking about high school production. Like
0: to Yeah. I yeah, that's true.
1: That's that's my that's my biggest problem with him in general. I can't get a read on because I don't feel like there's anything to judge him off of. Hmm. Deontay Davis is another strong contender if he could be, if he could be, I have a feeling this is the name that you were probably reaching for, but if he could be everything that he may be capable of. Because he is one of the rawest prospects. I think he's going to be in around that range. So if you knew he was going to figure all that out and go above and beyond that, you could be looking at the best center of power forward in the league.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I wonder... Sorry, to add one more thing. What would that... say that applies, as we talked about on... The regular episode of the pod this week what would that change your feelings on po- uh, poodle
1: uh, not really because if we talk about andrew bogut being like a good as you said andrew bogut now probably helps the books a lot mm-hmm. I, I think he'd come out quite well on that we talked about it on the other one and it's funny i've only seen more of this since we last spoke about it but People are really, really down on the idea of signing Poodle because it's not an exciting pick. Dear therefore, children, dear children, that is the point. The <laughs> therefore, point. it makes it excited. <laughs> That's, that is the, the ultimate reason to get excited because the books aren't going to get in their own way with an unnecessarily flashy pick.
0: Yeah,
1: It's not It's not really what this is all about, Um I don't think Baldwin is exciting either in terms of his game. If he didn't have a 6'11 wingspan for a point guard, I'm not sure people would be excited. So, like, I don't think either of those. The exciting guy is Chris. Chris is exciting. Chris is there, he's a really exciting player. And yet, we'd get around to opening night and we'd be like, oh, great, we know no more about what way the book should play moving forward. We've given ourselves another headache. I I think, think Pootle fares quite well on that. Mm. I don't think he's got the highest upside of any of them, but for what the books are looking for him at his best is pretty good situation. Yeah. The next next one from David Dunn also Denzel Valentine is clearly the kind of name a scriptwriter would have written for a 90s basketball comedy. He has like Eddie here. I don't I don't know if we're missing part of that.
0: No, Eddie is a
1: movie. Is Eddie
0: a movie? Eddie is a movie with a Whoopi Goldberg.
1: Oh wow, I need to look this up.
0: Yeah. By the way, Eddie, Whoopi Goldberg has no eyebrows.
1: Uh, take that for what you will.
0: In real life um, or in Eddie? <laughs> no, in real life. She does not have any eyebrows.
1: That's that's the sort of thing I would have thought I'd noticed before. Wow. How does that work? I don't know. she not got, like, sweat in her eyes all the time. I don't
0: know. It's – it's. I, I don't – maybe it's more common than I think it is, but she does not have any eyebrows. But Eddie was a movie with, like, a – I think it – I could be confusing about it with another movie. Well, I think it was with, like, a dinosaur that plays – No, yeah, I had to be confusing that movie.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I, I see now she was nominated for... You're definitely confused now. Um, she, was nominated, <laughs> <laughs> she was nominated for Worst Actress, right? I don't know oh. where you're going with Dinosaurs. It's the, the plot on Wikipedia starts out with, The New York Knicks are also runs in the NBA. The roster filled with <laughs> players who either lack talent or are too distracted by off-the-court issues. Is this... Never mind. Um, nonetheless, limousine driver oh. and rabid fan Edwina Eddie Franklin attends every Knicks game in the nosebleed section of Madison Square Garden. I don't know about you, but I know what I'm doing the second we finish recording here. Oh, no. Uh, cast also includes Mark Jackson as. What? No, that can't be the same one. Yeah. No, well, I don't think it's related. It is Mark Jackson. No, it is. Sorry, I thought you meant... I thought you were talking about your dinosaur movie again. No, it is that Mark Jackson. John Sally. Wow. We've also got Vinnie Del Negro, Dennis Rodman, Muggsy Bogues, Vladdy Divac. Wow. multiple former books. Gary Payton, Anthony Mason. Yeah. Marvin Albert also appears. Marvin
0: I- Albert. There we go.
1: Yeah, Joel okay. Brandon. So, we've got distracted by the cast of Eddie. Sorry for those of you who are listening and hoping for a podcast. Um, yeah. Sorry, just in general on that front.
0: One more thing on Eddie. The director of the movie is it's named it's Steve Brash, which sounds like a uh uh alias for steve nash <laughs> <laughs> a lazy alias i should say
1: yeah i don't lazy know who chooses rash to beat there. i don't know um the question because i didn't even get through the full question because jordan <laughs> lost it started talking about dinosaurs I, I have to get to the bottom of that one yet yeah <laughs> The question was, also, Denzel Valentine is clearly the kind of name a scriptwriter would have written for a 90s basketball comedy like Eddie. What is the greatest made-up name in the association? The wonderfully rhyming Latrell Sprewell is off the table, to be fair. Did
0: you say fakest name? Fake
1: name? Um, greatest made-up name. As in made up in inverted commas, as in Denzel Valentine esque names. Oh, okay, okay, okay.
0: Greatest name. Oh man, this is my wheelhouse. Uh,
1: <laughs> this seems like a question that was designed for you.
0: Yeah. Well, and I can't think of anyone. Oh man.
1: I mean, I and not in a. Not in a Denzel Valentine way, but this is someone who I honestly had never heard of until a week ago when his name resurfaced, and Ty actually had to explain who he was to me. But uh, God Sham God has to oh, yeah. rank pretty yeah. high.
0: That's... Yeah, that is... Oh. Huh. Hmm. Huh. hmm. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, man, I can't think of – there's got to be a great name out there. We were just talking about it on this week's episode. What name was it that is a great name? Why am I forgetting?
1: Was it a free agent? or?
0: No, I believe it was a draft, draft guy. That poodle. This is this is a stunning. I don't know. It's, it's <laughs> podcast. Podcasts yeah.
1: come to a grinding halt as we try to yeah. think names.
0: Oh man! It's this on the spot question. I can't think of it's a great name.
1: For those of you who think we do preparation and have pre-prepared answers, now you know you no, don't. This is all on the fly.
0: In terms of. In terms of my favorite names, I mean I, John Brock.
1: Go on, now go on.
0: John Brockman, you can't go wrong with that. That just sounds so fake. <laughs> it's, the,
1: it's the Ken Brockman. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, that's right. Yeah, John Brock.
1: Um, oh, I like Rakim Christmas. Rakim Christmas is a personal favorite of mine. That's a good one.
0: That's like in a movie. A New Year's Eve or Valentine's Day movie where the lead character is Christmas. It just it still Christmas. feels
1: very made up to me. It feels like a like if someone was making a seventies prequel to Eddie <laughs> I'm guessing there would have been a player called Rakeem Christmas. Yeah. Um Yeah. I'm so disappointed in Jordan for this. this is... I,
0: I, I can't think of it. They're I'm sure, all going to
1: come to Jordan later and he's going to be... I know. Out. I'm going like, to tweet them. He like, won't know what he's talking about. So. Yeah. Damn it. Moving on uh, to... Shaq be snacking. Shaq has a very elaborate... Um, <laughs> set of trades here, so stick with me.
0: Okay.
1: Crazy hypothetical trade here, but let's say the draft order goes Simmons, Ingram, Healed, Brown, and then Bender to the Wolves. They trade Rubio and Shabazz Muhammad to the Pelicans for the sixth pick and select Chris Dunn. The Pelicans trade Holiday for Monroe, and the book select Jakob Pootle at ten. Everybody winners question mark.
0: Everybody, I think now the, the
1: Yeah, the Timberwolves are winners because they get Dragon Bender and Chris Dunn. Do they? Yeah. Yeah, they get Dragon Bender and Chris Dunn, and. All they've got to give up is Shabazz Muhammad because Ricky Rubio. Yeah, he's like a weight off their minds. So just Shabazz yeah. Muhammad. Um, the Books don't win on that, do they? Well, I suppose to getting rid of Monroe, but is holiday I don't want a holiday either, to be honest. So
0: Yeah, I don't think that's I don't think that's really a win. Plus again, like we talked about when we did point guards. Injuries that's a little his. Uh, it's, I don't know, that stuff
1: scares me. Stress reactions just scare me. <laughs> that's that should be like your, your Twitter bio. Um, oh, yeah, that's oh, <laughs> another one from Sheffy Snack, and on a more realistic note, should the books kind of lay back with this? free agency and strike in 2017. current team and tent and greg trade make playoffs no not necessarily Uh, it's just a lot of variables in that who who do they pick at 10 how quick do they hit the ground running then if they're trading monroe for what to who and plus they're not going to have any more money in twenty seventeen, and the yeah. cap's the cap's going to go up again. So let's try and get guys now and tied in for a few years as role players if you can.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Technically, they're not looking for a star here. So yeah, I don't know. um, from at Josie's. Dwight Howard or Ricky Rubio? Thank you, uh, Joe C's, for paying <laughs> very close attention to <laughs> personal preferences. Um, I will say Dwight Howard hands down. Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard. I'm, I'm assuming we're not talking about contracts here. At least Dwight Howard is a basketball fit, and a much better player at one stage, anyway. So, mm. um, from At Shea underscore 1307, Shea and Schultz. Why trade Nerlands Noel? Wouldn't he, or why trade for Nerlands Noel? Wouldn't he take up money later for Yanis and Jabari? He would fit on the court, but not on the books, in my opinion. Books, as in accounting books. Yeah. Yeah, agree completely. That's the big issue with that. Unfortunately, salary space is not unlimited. That would be a problem. Next one from Cheyenne. You can choose one box role player post-2000. Who do you choose and why? I like Zaza back as we all would because of his toughness passing ability and natural fit. Or Bobby Simmons for floor spacing.
0: Bobby Simmons... It would be your post two thousand? Yeah. I have two answers. One honest answer. Two amusement answer. Um. I think I think honest answer I not I I think yeah, boxed They lack a player who has the skills that Dudley or the strengths that Dudley has. Um, And just, again, for a lot of the reasons we talked about with power forwards or during our power forward pod, power forward pod, um, I think, yeah, I think I would go Dudley. Amusement answer, Earl Boykins, boom.
1: I mean, Dudley's a really strong case. Zaza has a really strong case. There's another more recent one, though, that... Oh. You know where I'm going with this. Larry Sanders.
0: Yeah. Oh, man.
1: If you had a Larry Sanders that... I'm not talking about in a real sense, the books going and signing him if he wants to come back to basketball and basically paying him twice, I don't... That's not something worthwhile but if we're just hypothetically bringing anyone back, if they could have had the Larry Sanders they sort of paid for, hope they had to begin with, that would possibly be one less problem we'd be looking at now trying to solve in terms of fit on the roster.
0: I think my right answer. My honest answer. <laughs> I would Larry. Oh my gosh, I totally forgot about that.
1: Let's, yeah. Jordan looks so just I know. Oh. Such despair.
0: Just... I, Larry, man, I love Larry.
1: Last question. And this one, due to our own sort of schedule flipping with the mailbag, is a little out of date, but we can we can pretend things haven't happened yet. Shane asks, "What finals matchup produces more Jordan Tresky puns?" Oh no! What <laughs> oh. would it have been, Thunder or Warriors?
0: It's harder to do Thunder. I think it would be Warriors puns. It's harder to do th- Thunder pot
1: or puns. Really? Pot. I mean, they've got yeah. like. I feel like their roster is much more.
0: Their roster – in a perfect world, their roster would be great for it, but their names are like I, – I, the only yeah. two like that really come to mind that you could make a horrible pun
1: is, like, Waiters. Yeah. Cantor, I think, as well. Yeah. Okay, I know, like, Durant is not easy to just –
0: Durant's not good. Even Westbrook. I, you could do Russell, but that's yeah, you're awesome.
1: making this out as if you have like really rigid rules of what you can turn into puns. I've, oh yes, I've, I do. Have I've seen you make rules. puns out of
0: nothing. That turn into nothing. <laughs> yeah, I, I
1: don't want to. I held off from saying I've seen you make puns out of nothing because it sounded too positive. But <laughs> yeah, pretty much that is what what we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. There,
0: there's. I don't. I can't really think of any Roberson doesn't that's not a punnable name. Yes. You could do Andre 3000.
1: Oh my God. <laughs> Andre afraid to take a three thousand. Yeah.
0: 3000. Andre should shoot 3000 three pointers <laughs> in the gym this summer. a day. Um, yeah, war. I would say Warriors. In fact, I did a that it wasn't a pun, but I did a great tweet last night. Not the two by Al but Yeah, <laughs> that's you
1: know. exactly what you just done. I don't know if you remember that we're recording this, where you just said you did a great tweet last night. Tell us yeah. about your tweet, Jordan.
0: I took a picture of Rick Barry doing. He's a about to start his granny free throw routine, and I. Put the capture or the tweet said, You're crazy for this one, Rick. That's a Jay-Z reference.
1: <laughs> uh, sort yeah. of topical considering we talked a lot about Shinami
0: That's right. That yeah. I forgot about that. By the way, I thought of a name that sounds incredibly fake.
1: Let's do it. Devin Marble. Oh, mm, that's a good one. What about Dwayne Deadman? Favorite of yours? Oh
0: my gosh! Yeah, Dwayne Devon. Yeah,
1: because he's not even Dwayne. He's (laughs) Dwayne. Dwayne
0: Dwayne Devon. Yeah, that's a great name.
1: Yeah, that's the mailbag done. Before we finish up, some of you might be thinking, "Hmm, I haven't heard Ty Windish on the podcast in a while." Don't worry, Ty is just. He's busy with his schedule. His summer work schedule is holding up, but he will make his return very soon. He is still, however, uh, keeping time out with Ty, firing what we have generally termed as the less less official podcast behind book pass. But with some news on that front, it will now be even less official because... Time Out With Ty is sort of mutually going its separate way from us at Behind the Book Pass. Nothing particularly dramatic about that, as it might sound, but as those of you, and I guess it's a lot of you who listen to us regularly listen to Ty's great podcast, it tends to go very heavy on general NBA, talk a lot about things completely away from basketball, and for everyone involved, we didn't want people who were only here for books talk to also be subscribing and getting all this other general MBA or Game of Thrones or whatever it is <laughs> in their subscription feed. And vice versa, if you're really into general MBA, you do not want to listen to three hours of books talk a week. So it made sense to separate things a little bit. Um, Ty's podcast will still be around. It will still be out weekly or more than weekly. Um, He will be up on iTunes on his own channel very soon. I will link to it, if not in the article for this podcast, in our podcast for next week. So be sure to keep listening to go subscribe. Uh, Jordan and I will definitely be continuing to listen. We will hopefully be guests. It's been a while now, I think, for both of us, Jordan. He's moved up in the world. and We haven't got a call in a little while, but we would hope to be guests on there soon. And you will hear much more of Ty Windish than you would really like to hear on this podcast and future dates, I'm sure. So don't worry, you will still be like, oh, that guy again. Uh, but just quick sort of PSA for those of you who enjoy both of our podcasts. Time Out with Ty is moving as such, so you will have to set your subscriptions and all of those sort of things accordingly that is it for this week unless we have emergency things to do which let's hope not Um, but two podcasts how lucky slash unlucky are you people we will be back as usual next week you will hear us on Tuesday be sure to check out all of our work on site subscribe to us on iTunes follow us on SoundCloud add us on Stitcher Jordan and I and who knows maybe some others will be back next week thanks very much for listening cue the creepy Jordan Tresky goodbye thank you